Do you know where the future is? Well, I'm not sure. Computers. You have a special gift for computers. You've always had that. What I really love is to make up games for computers. Hi, everybody, and welcome again to the IWMP podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And I haven't just made him watch a movie. I haven't just made him watch TV. I have made him watch a TV movie. <laughs> a TV movie from the early 80s. And that's a very special kind of TV movie. Oh, goodness. That immediately sets a tone that we're going to have to deal with because this that sets some limitations and some expectations. It's one thing to uh, base a TV movie on things that are ripped from the headlines. It's another to base a TV movie on things that are ripped from the headlines with no regard as to whether those headlines are accurate or not. Yeah. Oh, goodness. This is one of those things I'd known about. I'd seen people talk about online. I've, I've heard references to this and used a quote from it in the past because people find this thing an amusing point on the social scale and it partially is because of the people i hang out with we're recording earlier than we usually do in the day and that's because i've got a DD game later <laughs> i also have some of your old miniatures that i might paint while we're playing so this says plenty because the movie we watched was mazes and monsters rona jaffe's mazes and monsters rona jaffe's mazes and monsters gotta have that uh that possessive in there <laughs> oh goodness so this is a TV movie from 1982, featuring a 26-year-old Tom Hanks in one of his first roles, and it's about the eponymous game, this mysterious game that people play where they pretend to be fighters and wizards going on adventures, a game called Mazes and Monsters. Mazes and Monsters is a far-out game. <laughs> is that the quote that <laughs> That's the used? quote that everyone used. You say that you're going to go play a tabletop game, and there's a chance that you're going to have someone spout that line at you. It is send, said with such intense depth in the movie for no good reason. Mazes and Monsters is a far-out game. Now, Rona Jaffe, somebody who wrote wrote novels and wrote a like, cultural column for Cosmopolitan magazine for, for years, and the stuff she was most known for were kind of the... The current, the cultural wave of right now is what she's addressing in these um, these novels and these columns. And this movie and the novel that it was uh, adapted from were based largely on the initial newspaper reports and newspaper accounts about the disappearance of James Dallas Egbert III, a Michigan State University student, a very troubled young man who did not meet a good end. But he he disappeared at one point, and it was known that he and his friends would, like, explore the steam tunnels underneath the university campus, and it was known that they would play Dungeons & Dragons, this mysterious game that was, was sweeping the nascent nerddom of the time. And I think... Don't know if this was accurate or there was speculation about him and his friends going into the steam tunnels to play Dungeons and Dragons. Never did it. Was it ever? Uh, was there any ever confirmation about them like 
LARPing down in the tunnels for D&D. But it turned out that he had gone down at the steam tunnels with a bunch of drugs that was a suicide attempt, and he attempted suicide several times, sadly, until he succeeded later under completely different circumstances. But the initial reports of this were D&D led people to play this creepy game in the steam tunnels, and somebody died while they were doing it. That's why he's disappeared. And you combine this with other cultural responses to things like Dungeons and Dragons and heavy metal music and the like, and groups like Bad Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons, which was an like an anti D and D advocacy group. Did that actually exist? Yes, that actually existed. Okay. This movie uh, was very much cultural currency at the time. Oh goodness, that's one of the things I'm going to immediately say, and you you pointed it there. This movie and the entire story doesn't stay. Dungeons and Dragons. This becomes the dangers of LARP. It does. They invented LARPing. I've, I've got these in these giant letters in my my notes. LARP. You invented LARP, and apparently LARP kills people. Exactly. This is. It is. It is this. This. It's still remembered as this. This you know Dungeons and Dragons being the dangerous thing story, but the story itself doesn't even stay there. And for all of of my problems with this story, I do have to give it enough credit. To kind of bring some of these criticisms back and roll them back a bit, because in the end, it suggests that something like D&D and playing D&D in mysterious caverns can be an unfortunate trigger for someone who already has deep-seated psychological problems and psychiatric trauma. And this may be a trigger to let them help them lose their tether to reality. And if it wasn't this, it may have been something else. It's less blame D&D for driving kids crazy and severing their link to reality than many people who knew of the book or who read the book or have watched the TV show kind of thought it did. Some Too many people saw this as support for their preconceived notions of D&D when the movie doesn't even really say that. No. And I have to give it credit for yeah. that. The movie is actually really good at giving a... A kind of, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this specifically, unmonitored self-medication with fantasy stories is not a proper treatment, kind of, as their message. If If you're using this as the outlet with nothing else as a support group, that's not a good move. It it doesn't say that this wasn't positive for these care for these people in some ways. Some of them were actually doing good and they point out the fact that they're using it as a way to work out some of their own things and do that but it says that doing that without any other support systems was not good because it caused this man to have nothing else to support him when he did have problems later i think it could even be said as a you know it's a it's a self-diagnosis is not a good way to go that's interesting i never quite took it that far in my interpretation of it this didn't seem to be to be suggesting he was in any way knowingly or intentionally using D&D as an outlet or as as an as an escape it was more that 
by its very nature, it turned into a trigger for these existing problems that he had. And for everybody else, it was just a game. Mm -hmm. And I'm merging what some of the characters say in one scene with some of the actions of a different character related to it in another. Yeah. Because we've got two of the characters who sit down at one point and say that they're working through their own things in the game and that they leave that in the game and go about the rest of their lives. So it's showing a positive for those two. And then it shows the negative for him. So it's a... This doesn't work for everybody, and he needed more support than what this could have provided if it was done well. You're right. I forgot about that. You're absolutely right. They they do give you a little bit of insight as to why different people are playing this game. Mm-hmm. But the story itself is, it doesn't start with the character that it that it ends with in the same. And I mean that not just in terms of a who's playing what character story-wise, <laughs> but who are who we focus on when the movie starts up is not the same. It keeps you guessing in that sense, in terms of who's going to be important and who's going to be our focus. And it works as a pretty good ensemble in that way. Oh, yeah. Because we start out with JJ. Yeah, Chris Makepeace playing the the 16-year-old college sophomore you know, genius whose mom is and, and dad are very wealthy in the New York publishing industry. And he is, essentially, he's always looking for a distraction, it seems to me. He's... A social outsider, he's an intellectual outsider, and playing mazes and monsters gives him a way to relate to people and to have a group uh, to socialize with. Mm -hmm. He also has a variety of hats. Yes, every scene he's in some kind of a strange, interesting hat. I have known Hat Boy in the real life. I have (laughs) met various Hat Boy, and they're very nice people. But (laughs) immediately, this it starts out with a very odd and sillier tone. Because he's showing up with this German soldier's hat with the spike on top, having this discussion with his family, and they've redecorated his room to this stark white environment. And the entire thing is surreal in a way that the rest of the movie does not keep up. And that's one more way in which that character just has absolutely no refuge outside of this game and the social group it gives him. Even his home, his room in his home is not his because his mom, a, a a successful interior designer, changes it every time he's away. It's the successful interior designer part. My goodness, some of these designs are overdone. <laughs> this is not going to last on HGTV. This is one of those you hear later that they took everything down again. Do you know how many of my clients would give their eye teeth for a Julia Brockway room like this? And then there is... um. I forget the name of the tall blonde guy, what his what his character name is. I don't remember either. He's blonde handsome dude. Yes. Who because he is and this is they kind of this comes out in, in conversation and dialogue with him later on. He's somebody who is assumed to be more social and more romantically successful and everything else than he really is or than he really feels. And then there is Rona I mean, I'm just gonna say Rona Jaffe, I mean Kate. <laughs> the young college um, uh, student who wants to be a writer, pretty clearly a self-insert character, especially since at the end we find out she's written a novel about everything that's happened in this novel. She's not perfect. She's not a Mary Sue character. They do a good job of showing some flaws on her, but less so than the other three, I think. Yeah, in some ways she's our, it, by nature, I guess, she's our observer character. She, as you say, she's not perfect but she is more consistent and more constant through the the uh the story i think and then uh and then the fourth member is 
Robbie Wilder. Played by Tom Hanks. And he is somebody who is like really smart, but he was he had to transfer away from Tufts to this fictional Grant University before he got kicked out because he was spending all of his time playing mazes and monsters and wasn't getting the grades he needed, even though he could. Yeah, he's playing. They're playing a lot of this game. It's implied that he was playing a lot, and then this other group plays a lot of this game in a short amount of time. Now, I've known people to be obsessed with a tabletop RPG, just as I've known people to be obsessed with sports or obsessed with video games. The fact that this in this movie, the only people we ever see playing this game is this little group of people seems it seems to me that the movie is suggesting this is a normal approach to this game, which is playing it several times a week playing it in a darkened room with candles all over with these incantation like introductions of your characters and their powers and they're using miniatures sort of but they're using like 4 or 5 inch tall flats rather than using 25 millimeter miniatures like we would do yeah. in playing D&D and they were using them as these kind of totems rather than using them as game pieces which is what they are are we jumping into the analysis of mazes and monsters the game in the story because i've got like a paragraph here and i will do an ian talks numbers segment. oh i think maybe we are so fire away. okay i'm gonna immediately just dive in so so uh be ready audience uh okay yeah they're they don't have a grid on the table it's full of other random items hey our gm does not seem to have a gm screen but everyone is using their laps for their documents yeah everybody has documents except possibly the gm well he has a map oh that's right he does have a map and they do have something on the table and it does have like a geometric grid work on it but it appears to be purely decorative it's not like they're using this as a game map or a board yeah so they're not yeah there's no game map or board they describe a lot of what their character has on them with these fanciful names but we also get to see their sheets of paper for just a moment. And I took a lot of notes in that one moment because I do not see any numbers properly listed. I see long lines of texts hand scrolled, and I'm immediately trying to figure out what Mazes and Monsters is. And it is not D&D analogous. This thing is apparently using a tags system to be able to check what things do, comparing those individually. It's very important later that it has a point spend spell system instead of a slots system. There is a lot of stuff. There are games more like this that I know, but it is not what I would have expected. This is this is a much more diceless, like tag system game than I expected, with a encounter system, but no and a map, but no grid encounters. So there's nothing with clear range issues or anything and, like that and they rarely actually used dice yeah though, as everybody else was showing off their totemic character figures the dungeon master was holding out the dice excuse me i said dungeon master the maze controller the maze <laughs> controller who has absolute authority in this realm has the dice and and yet dice were almost never used. They seem to be used by the maze controller occasionally in determining random encounters or something. Yeah, but we like, never had anybody roll to see if they succeeded in an action. 
or yeah. anything else. We see a character death later on, and it is purely you did not check the scenario for the tag that would kill you in terms of interaction. I think encounters are dice rolled from table, but it is not. It, there's no success fail rate on probability for doing anything in this game. Right. It's there's there's a pit here. You see something at the bottom. It could be a treasure. It could be a trap. What do you do? I jump in. It was a trap. You're dead. Yeah, my goodness. That would be my last game with that DM. The fact that then there's a large amount of uh, back and forth between blaming the character's decision or the or the the MCs, the MCs uh, game setup here as to what caused character death is actually the only realistic thing in tabletop games I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) We're all dead. Is that because you made the thing too hard, or were we foolish? Uh. And to back up from that, there's this weird connection between players and their characters that, again, I think is some kind of a strange misunderstanding of RPGs at the time. And remember, this is like written in 1980 or so, the novel. The movie is from 1982. There weren't a lot of RPGs out there. There was Dungeons and Dragons. There were a few D&D spinoffs like Tunnels and Trolls, Arduin Grimoire, a couple of other genre type things. I think there was a superhero game or two, but D&D was kind of it when it came to, to RPGs at that time in terms of what anybody knew about. So I think this was a misunderstanding of that. They talk about players being able to play at a certain level. Players, player, not characters, players being of a certain level. And like when you're level nine, you can finally start to create your own scenarios and things. I think that somebody heard about D&D and the concept of levels, and they started thinking it was something like tournament chess rankings or something. Yeah. Like what, what tournaments would you qualify for? And what kind of group can you join? Can you, we're looking for a fourth player because apparently you need a certain number of players. We're looking for a fourth player who's able to play at the ninth level as if that is some quantification of a skill at mazes and monsters. Like, how does that even work? I don't really understand. There's a lot of this that is D&D, if you were to somehow strip all of the battle simulation, the historical battle simulation that originally formed into D&D. D&D was this offshoot from these miniatures war models and these these diorama setups that then they wanted rules on how these armies interacted and then it turned into one-on-one character combat and then it became the fanta- the fantasy Tolkien infused D&D we know. This is like if you just started from that final endpoint and never had that history leading into it. If you never had Civil War miniature reenact miniature battle simulation to then turn into the stuff later. If you never had, I can't remember the name of the original game that D&D spun off of. Chainmail. Chainmail. If you never had Chainmail and just started with D&D, that's what Mazes and Monsters become. Yeah, it's kind of like it grew as a religious practice inspired by epic fantasy novels rather than a refinement or or evolution from unit level military simulation. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, you take it, it it takes all of the 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 randomization of results and things like that out of it. 
and all you get is this obsession with the characters. And characters and stories, super important in RPGs, but not to this extent. And when they talk about players being able to play at a certain level, you get the impression that it's like he's got a, he can play at the ninth level and he's got this ninth level character that was created back when he was overplaying the game at Tufts. And now this proves he can play at the ninth level and he can be this ninth level character in our new Mazes and Monsters game. And sure, if you're using standard rules, you can shift characters back and forth. But it wasn't this. This is a, a, a quantification of the player's skill because they are at the ninth level. In some ways, if you're going to approach this movie, having an idea of how this gets D&D wrong and what it is actually showing as a story basis is important, I find, because it took me a moment in watching it to click. And that's kind of what the, the scrambling notes I have here are me clicking what they are actually trying to show into what it then turns into and narratively evolves into as they go. Because where they start and where they end would not work if you're in the real world. So if you know anything about these games and you try to follow it, it will frustrate you in a way that it doesn't if you start thinking, okay, this is what this is here, and it's saying this about it. Eh? And I think you're getting to a very good point there, and that is... At some point, you have to get beyond whether or not they're being accurate to tabletop RPGs circa 1980, just because it's not a documentary, it's not a reference book, it's a movie. This conversation we've been having, though, is reminding me of what my reaction to this movie was when I first watched it, when I was in high school and heavily into D&D and related games. And that was this just general sense of laughing irritation at how dumb this was and how wrong it got everything and how this is just, it's so ridiculous I can't even be upset and offended by it. What I hadn't remembered and what may really not have struck me when I was watching it back then was getting beyond all of that. What a bad movie this is. Oh my goodness, this is... (laughs) Just taken on its own, forget about whether it gets things correct when it takes real-world inspiration. It's not a good movie. Oh... It is, my goodness, it is disjointed, and it is oddly paced, and it has some big gaps in it. It was, I think it was clearly rushed. It does have some continuity problems. Some of the actors are more talented than others. Some of the actors are trying harder than others. Nobody has a lot of really good stuff to work with. Everybody gets a few really ridiculous clunker lines. And... It just does not come into together into anything that is particularly watchable. Wait, wait a minute. Uneven investment, depending on what was happening for the rest of things during that day. Fast travel. Strange plot contrivance. Distinct character themes to each individual. Conveniently located nearby caverns. And a large dramatic set piece on top of a tower. The story of Mazes and Monsters is a better D&D campaign than the D&D campaign shown in <laughs> Mazes and Monsters. Oh, I like that idea. I would. I think you could play a better round of Mazes and Monsters, the game, in something like Savage Worlds as a narrative setup than you could trying to play the story they tell inside for their characters to play. Wouldn't that be a fun one-shot to run at a convention? 
a it, Savage Worlds game in which your players are modern day students playing mazes and monsters. Each one of them has some kind of underlying psychological trauma, and you have to make periodic checks to see if this sends them around the bend. I mean, it's creepy, but it would work too well. That that would be a fun convention one shot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, that is very dark because oh, this yeah. movie goes very dark. Uh, Ellie, do not sit down. Expect we're 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 here laughing because we found this funny at times for being a bad movie, but at the same time, this is a very swervingly dark movie, and you kind of yes. have to laugh at how this will go from ridiculous to. Ugh quickly yes don't think this is just going to be you know let's sit around and, and play mystery science theater this is it deals with some serious psychological trauma it deals with themes of, of suicide uh so you know be be aware that even if it doesn't handle them particularly well it is addressing some pretty heavy topics but if but if you can with that kind of spoiler warning approach this and can have that bit of a dark sense of humor you will find the overall final picture amusing in its flaws, <laughs> I think. So most of the the story, or I'd say the first half of the story, first two acts of the story, is about the interrelations of these characters. Yeah. And the different relationships that are built. And even within this group, for example, JJ, the young genius finds himself an outsider and finds himself wanting to play mazes and monsters more and more often and you know we've we've only played three times this week why can't we play again tonight well other people have tests they need to study for and things like that so we see him looking for a solution to his problems by playing finding a group to play mazes and monsters with and then finding no that isn't your solution because you really weren't addressing what the problem is mm -hmm. Meanwhile, our blonde strongman there. Yes. Uh, tall, handsome dude. Tall, tall, handsome. Is doing better away from his family, who very much think of him going down one path. They, they want him to be of a type, and he wants to do his own <laughs> oh. thing. Oh, yeah. Another nice little 1980s bit here. He has a talent for computers. And his father knows that computers are the future. So you should go to MIT to study computers and bond handsome dude likes computers well enough but what he really wants to do is make games for computers and everybody knows there's no future in games for computers and there never, there's never going to be any money in that um so why are you wasting your time with this little grant university instead of going to mit to study computers but he so he does better when he's away from his family at grant university and apparently doing well enough in his studies. He's he's doing okay, and he's got his group, and, you know, young blonde Todd Howard here is doing fine. So yeah. we've got our, our author insert character who is doing her writing projects and is very studious. She's kind of the, the keep everyone in line character. Yes, and she's kind of keeping tabs on people, knowing where they are, are they doing okay? She wants to write her novel, and she keeps getting blocked from writing her novel because then she figures it's because I haven't lived yet. So um, she's not necessarily making progress on that, and yet she's socially 
this is not a very high bar, but maybe more well-adjusted than the rest of them. Mm -hmm. And finally, we have our reluctant to start, but invested once he's there character played by Tom Hanks. He sees the, the, the notice on the student bulletin board. Now, mazes and monsters player wanted able to play at the fourth level or, to yeah. play, or ninth level and to play certain times a week and it's like it's like uh you know a junkie has gone over to the bulletin board and said you know heroin club starting up you know meet yeah. us after school it's like, do i do that or not and he was he's like looking at it and like no, shaking his head, he won't. And he's immediately jumped by Hat Boy, who's just like, you're joining us, right? Yeah, you get the impression that uh, that uh, that JJ was staking out his notice on the bulletin board and ready to leap up and, and talk to anybody who even paused in front of it. You could, I could almost hear the uh, the Metal Gear Solid alert sound effect when that happens. Because <laughs> he, he, he leaps up and is immediately in his face. And it's very, very awkward. But it's supposed to, I think... I can't tell, but it was it's definitely a a a sudden swerve and a a back into the to the mess of it. And it was in some ways it was a, the, that little scene between the two of them. It was sort of two people who aren't good with people finding each other. They're both socially awkward in different ways and yet they manage to have a conversation because they both know mazes and monsters. Exactly. And we see this this setup as he's convinced he's he's he turns him down he turns JJ down at first but then he goes to a party and is convinced by the other two members to join into the group in oh. part because he he's interested in our our author insert character she's she's interesting and they have kind of immediately have some sparks going right and this means that he is now part of the group as their fourth player and they start playing this strange not quite what we expected game yeah cut to the room with the incantations and the candles and everything else my goodness that's a lot of candles yeah it's it's reminding me a little bit about the uh the jack chick tract uh i think it was called dark dungeons essentially the the um if you're not the kind of christian that i am and you play uh, you you'll wind up playing D &D and D and D will wind up sending you to hell kind of Religious what? tract. Why do all these anti D and D things get to grab such really cool names for things? Mazes <laughs> and monsters, dark dungeon. These are cool names. Stop <laughs> taking them out of the market. <laughs> oh goodness. So yeah, it's that kind of take on on D and D playing. But they they start playing and it doesn't destroy their lives immediately. No, they're in fact we see them doing. We see them studying. We see them exercising. We see them maintaining more of a work life balance than I expected. To some extent, in this montage, which is mostly there as this this romance montage between the our our couple here with Tom Hanks and the our our, our girl of the group, because they 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 become an item over the course of this, and they're yeah, going so, out. So Robbie and Kate are definitely an item. Yeah, Robbie, and we see them keep playing, but this isn't enough for JJ. Right. He he. He's the one who first starts contemplating suicide because he's bored and nobody else wants to play Mazes and Monsters as much as he does. Wait, I mean, that it goes that like, is quick. It's a very like casual conversation with his pet about how to yeah, how to commit suicide. It's like, "Oh, okay, we're gone we've gone there and we've yeah. gone there already very and quickly." He, he's got his parrot who knows these various phrases, including one of the best phrases, which is birds can't talk. <laughs> but his parrot is full of these phrases that don't help. Yes. And 
he immediately jumps to like, oh, like, what can I do that's flashy as a way to off myself? I know the caves that we're not supposed to go into. And, and this is where you very much get into you know, Douglas Egbert territory in terms of what what happened in these news stories that this was inspired by. Yeah, but it's it goes from, you know, oh, we're playing the game and everything's fine to no one can play on a Saturday to I'm going to kill myself to there's a convenient caves. And I did not know what to feel by the end of this, because that is a lot to go through very, very short time period wise in terms of this movie. Yeah. This go, it, I mean, that is a harsh turn. And I was very, very distraught there because it's. I mean, there is no early signs in the way they depicted him before. They show him as unhappy, but not to that extent, I think, in the earlier parts of the movie. So jumping there felt... (sighs) And then he goes into the caves, but doesn't go through with anything because he has an idea and comes back to play the game again later in the next scenes. Because he decides... We should make mazes and monsters more real by playing them in the caverns. And how that exactly worked, I wasn't quite sure. It was a little bit escape room, a little bit. It was LARPing, obviously. Yeah. And it was still played with dice and maps and random encounters and things. A little odd. Yeah. Little. And fortunately, they realized they, for a movie, they didn't have to get into the game mechanics. Mm-hmm. But he, yeah. We see him come back. He immediately performs badly and kills off his character and then suggests that they start up a new game in the caverns. And within like a week, everybody has like fantasy oil torches and costumes and gear (laughs) and they're in and they're doing the cave thing. And he's he's bribed one of the people in the science department for a skeleton and set up a puzzle. And this is a lot of work. I was confused as to how their maze controller had enough time for scenario set up before, but this is a lot of lot of setup for a very short period of time that he's done to get these caves ready. And everyone was way too quick to jump into this. Yeah, they do establish that JJ is very smart, can be very industrious, and has to spend no time, practically speaking, on schoolwork. So I guess that helps, but still. They go from zero to... Wow, this is amazing. Pretty quickly. Yeah. And then it's just my, like, immediately they've got this whole setup, and this is where our main character kind of shifts. Because setting this up and being the, the maze controller actually seems to balance out JJ a little. Yeah, it gives him the kind of distraction that he needs. Yeah. Like, Good job, Mazes and Monsters, for showing that playing the game and managing the scenario are two very different skill sets that can attract and do things for different people. That was positive. It was. Surprising, not expecting you to go there. So not bad for JJ, but for Robbie, somebody who already was getting a little too into the game, even at the tabletop, who had practically speaking flunked out of his past university because he was too obsessed with the game he has a psychotic break during this game in the caverns and he forgets about being robbie and he becomes his character who is a a a, a magical a, a magic using cleric and uh he becomes that character more and more and he starts having weird dreams 
and they start to connect with his previous psychological trauma that he has not yet worked through or had the appropriate help for. And without giving away too much of what that was and where it eventually leads, he's completely checked out and he leaves and he's missing. And they wonder, is he, did he go back to the caves? Did he, did he commit suicide? What happened to Robbie? And they, it becomes a kind of a detective story as his three friends try to figure out why he left, where he left and what he's doing and where might we find him based upon the few clues that he's left behind and that he shared with Kate in conversations. And it's not a terrible detective story in that second half of the movie. Yeah, it's actually got a very interesting twist in terms of how that detective story works, because they realize that even though he is not Robbie anymore, he's Pardue. Eh. Yes, I, I, I've got it in my notes as several different ways. Is it Pardue, Ardu, or Bardu? Or yeah, I, I, I'm not quite sure. It was something Ardu, the, yeah. the, the holy man. Yeah, because they start trying to figure out what he's doing based on Ardu, and they realize no, Ardu is working with what robbie's problems are and they have to assess it via robbie and that suddenly is the key answer to a bunch of the stuff they kind of almost follow him down that path in terms of trying to help him in the wrong way at first because they start trying to assess what they're finding from what he left behind based on how he had been acting yeah that's a good point they don't succeed when they're trying to figure out well what is robbie thinking what is robbie doing and we have to figure out what robbie's up to well, he's not Robbie anymore. Well, what would Bardu go? Where would he go? What would he do? What what would he be thinking? Well, Bardu does not live in the northeastern United States in 1981. That's not helping either. They kind of integrate these characters in a way that maybe Robbie needed help doing himself. But that that actually makes for this very interesting story, and it's a very distinct, you know, narrative turn when. JJ, who is who we started with, with the camera, is no longer our focus character. Because that transition happens here. But we see this decline as we watch Robbie suddenly start inserting phrases into his daily life that aren't this, that are not him. We watch as he shuts down his relationship with Kate uh, because holy man can't yes. have that, such relations. And he gets what's it looks like very invested in his studies, but they're not actually what he's supposed to be studying. And it's it's a strange decline. We see his his choices and his actions change as this transformation occurs to the point where eventually he leaves campus and disappears. And so that's an interesting path to 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 watch him discover and follow and then we see his friends try to catch up with him by intellectualizing a similar change in perspective figuring out okay what is he going to be doing how is he going to be thinking where is he going to be going mm-hmm. and you know it it eventually turns into kind of an action pursuit series of set pieces pretty creative towards the end there yeah it's an interesting setting interesting uh interesting pursuit without violence if you get down to it that way well i wouldn't say completely without violence at the very end though it's more about tracking and pursuit yeah but we we watch robbie go down this path and we hear more about what 
Robbie's previous events had been in in some scenes, but those are kind of reinforced at this point because he'd had a brother that had disappeared and it was odd circumstances on Halloween. He just left and was never heard from again and is presumed dead. And as Robbie says, it's the not knowing that is the worst part of it. Mm-hmm. And that is the, the, the key psychological trauma that, that Robbie has been dealing with, has been failing to deal with, and has been central to this break that he had that separated him from reality. And yet he still has to navigate in the world in some way, however it is he's perceiving it, uh, as this new person he has become, this fantasy character he's, he's now inhabiting. Mm-hmm. And we, we see Robbie not have other support uh, systems in place. We see his friends check up on him, but kind of half-heartedly at times, or just, oh yeah, he's just being silly or a little confused. They, they start showing concern, but they, they're not completely putting two and two together at first. And that's an area in which Kate takes it more seriously than the others. I mean, I think it's a human tendency not to assume the worst when somebody is behaving a little, a little unusually. But she recognizes earlier than the others that there's something serious going on, partly because it impacts her directly with the change and the, the, the end of her relationship with Robbie, but partly just because they presented her as that kind of character. But yeah, they... There's a whole lot that changes before any of them really start to take seriously. Oh, there's something that's not quite right now with Robbie. And they actually show a lot of interesting little things that are not helping with Robbie. He's spending long nights doing this studying and this map making with no sleep. We see him actually fall asleep. And when he's waking up, there's open paint pots in front of him. That's and, such, and I'm yeah. like, oh goodness! So now he's now he's having a psychotic break and falling asleep in an unventilated room with acetone fumes. Not helping. Yeah, intentionally or not, he's drugging himself. I hadn't had it noticed that. That's a good point. Yeah, there's all like of the things that can go wrong in terms of exacerbating this. A lot do. And there are times when I do want to wake up the other characters because sometimes they are just kind of dismissing what's happening by saying, "Oh, he's." Yeah, he's going around blessing people and and but he's just getting really into his character. It's like, yes, he is. That's the point. If he's getting into his mazes and monsters character 24/7, that's not an explanation. That is a symptom. There's something going on. Yeah. Maybe he needs your help. And this all comes to the head when he runs away from the school and leaves behind nothing but his maps and some things but he's got this weird mix of his normal everyday clothes but he's got like the pouches and such from his character with him yeah i don't know what's in that his pouch of spells i don't know if it's his dice or what they never really explain that we don't know oh we do at some point see him take out some kind of a uh semi-precious gem or something out of it and hold it up as if it's got magical powers again not something I have ever encountered playing a tabletop RPG, but maybe this is something he developed for himself when he was getting into character. I don't know. Yeah. So we see him go out and we see, we, we've watched him as this character, Pardu, uh, kind of wander around the, the town and talk directly, like wander with his you know friends. But now he's wandering around the town and talking to people as this this character. And he's got his bag of spells that we're describing he's pulling stuff out of. And he's got a knife. And 
he he's gotten into it but he's got all these accessories and you know he's insisting people call him pardu and such because he's gone this far we've got corrections from uh, mrs darling wife our de facto producer the name was pardu as she points out pardu means by god in french oh goodness yeah and that's significant the holy man pardu makes makes perfect sense thank you uh Mrs. Darling Wife. Also, correction, the character's name is Robbie Wheeling, not Robbie Wilder. I ah. called him Wilder earlier. Ah, so, we stand corrected, and that's very interesting about the fact that the name is in French, because of one of the people he meets wandering around New York. Ah, yes. He, he runs into a a homeless man who, when he introduces himself as Pardu the Holy Man, the, the other man just says, and I'm the king of France. And that, that says where he's at. He doesn't take that as a lie. He immediately, my, my lord, he's yeah. immediately. <laughs> he, he gives this great bow, your majesty. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, is imme- he is immediately taking things at face value. His concept of the difference between a reality and a fiction are gone. And that is extremely manipulatable. Yeah. And that is the scariest part here. A homeless man in the subway who says he's the king of France is the king of France. A punk who tries to mug him becomes a monster. Everything is through the filter of mazes and monsters. And during that bit, we also get to see, is it before or during that, that we get to see the police show up due to the disappearance at the school? Because this introduces a character who I was fascinated by. They're the character that we first see in the cold open, actually, as they introduce like this in media res opening of him having gone missing. And this guy's got some energy. Yeah, it's during this period of time that the police get involved. They start searching the caverns, thinking that's where he might be. And the friends start slipping information to the police because they don't want to get in trouble by being too involved, but they do want to help the police find Robbie. Uh, And yeah, we get a cold open, and then we get a six months earlier, or however many months it was. A remarkably short amount for the number of games they've played earlier. Yes, yes, indeed. But you're right, that police detective is very interesting. Because he, he starts questioning them like D&D is an illegal item that you should not be allowed to possess. He knows a lot and starts spouting a lot of information, but all of it has this vitriol. It's kind of like Joe Friday from uh, uh, Dragnet talking with some punk kid into the drug scene. One of the players Robbie played with got carried away and killed him. Well, that's kind of far out. Mazes and monsters is a far out game. Swords, poison, spells, battles, maiming, killing. Hey, it's all imagination. Is it? And yet, we've also got reporters who are talking, oh yeah, I've heard of mazes and monsters, my kids play that. There's some suggestion, this is just a game that people play, and yet, that's not how this detective takes it. It makes it seem like this detective was personally slighted. It's like... Uh, who, who poured a who poured a Chessex pounded dice into the gas tank of your favorite car, sir? <laughs> what did the what did the RPG players do to you that made you this angry about this topic? It was his maze controller when his fourth level fighter mage was killed in that trap with no dice rolling needed. He had a vendetta against mazes and monsters since that day. My goodness. I mean, it is him that gets to have the wonderful Mazes and Monsters is a far out game line, which is just so much fun. But he is infinitely quotable, but he's also absolutely like enraged. And it's so weird because it, it is 
they've made this dark story and these serious things happening. And so you take the fact that this is a serious moment as it is when they're showing it in scene. In the flow of the narrative, he doesn't seem too out there because they've made it heavy enough already. But you take any one moment of that, the slightest bit out of its context, and it becomes ridiculous because it is so emphatic. Yeah, you take it in the context of this game may be related to this disappearance and possible death of a college student. Yeah, I can understand him taking it that seriously. But you're right. You you remove that context and it's like, whoa, whoa, where'd this come from? And he knows all these terms, these terms. He's tossing them out. He's keeps going. He's. He's researched in a way I wouldn't have expected. They make him angry and ignorant. It's different than if he's angry and accurate or angry and knowledgeable as to what he's saying. He's running a mazes and monsters game back at the station house. He is. And he's gotten mad that they're he's mad that they're besmirching the name of this. Yeah, I think that's it. And he's denying this a little bit too vociferously. Oh, he's the maze controller. He is the maze controller. He he has authority in this realm. (laughs) Yeah, we hear that a few times. You know, the maze controller. I have absolute authority in this realm. I'm going to start using that in daily conversation now. Somebody wants a cost estimate at work. You know, I have absolute authority in this realm. <laughs> now, maybe I won't. I don't know. Might go. Yeah. But we we they follow Robbie all the way to they they find him in New York finally, and they confront him, and he is slipping back and forth between Pardue and Robbie. During parts of this, and yeah, he does come saying, back. He, saying he doesn't remember what he's doing as Pardue. This is a a full on break in terms of yeah, really distinct multiple personality disorder. Mm-hmm. And we do see him. You're right. We see him go back and forth. We have these little brief periods of lucidity when he's Robbie and he's wondering where he is and why he's here and what's going on and did I just kill somebody? Yeah, and they they calm him down and they they bring him home in the end. And then we get a cut forward in time. And I'm not going to say the ending there, but I'm going to say it's not, it's not a, a happy one. No, it's, it's not the most tragic it could have been, but it is not a super cheerful ending. No. And yet there again, it's, it's the parts, the things about the ending that are not positive are not really laid at the feet of Mazes and Monsters as a game. It's this tragic situation that occurred with this troubled young man. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like the, the actual thing that causes the problems is a badly organized LARP. And the issues that this man was having were something that was pre-existing before Mazes and Monsters yeah. came in and before the game took over for him. They've got a lot of things here that Mazes and Monsters is a a veneer as to what the narrative becomes about, but it's not the core of it, actually. Right. And with this character not getting the treatment he needed, not getting the help he needed, if the poorly organized LARP would not have been the trigger, then a movie six months later might have been the trigger, or a bad grade on a test, or or something else may have been the same kind of trigger. It just would not have resulted in exactly the same kind of thing. So it really isn't blaming the game, so to speak. It's connecting the game to the specifics of what happened. And I'll give it credit for that, because it would have been easier to go down the road of 
anybody who plays this game is at risk of having this happen to them. And and Rona Jaffe and the creators of this movie did not go there. Overall, that the story is is heavy. Yes, for a for a uh, a TV movie with mediocre production values, it is a heavy story. It is very a, spe- a very special episode in terms of the, the type of weight, and and the TV movie aspect helps reinforce that because the production doesn't pull through all the time. And it's not without humor, most of it coming through Chris Makes Makepeace and his portrayal of JJ, but there are some lighter moments in it. Yeah. JJ and his bird are light. <laughs> also means that when JJ goes dark, it goes dark. That's yes. actually, I think, the harshest part of it. The rest of it, you get invested and concerned, but it's not the, the harsh swerve that those sections are. Mm-hmm. But overall, that it's a... I was not expecting to feel emotions sitting down to watch this movie. Right. And I, mean, I did. Uh, me too. And I did not expect to react in all the, the ways that I did. Uh, my, my recollection of the movie and my recollection of my take on the movie were very incomplete, it having been you know, so many years since I saw it. But maybe that brings us to our final questions. I think it does. And uh, this uh, is a movie, so screen or no screen, you going to recommend people watch this? I'm not. I'm not going to recommend it. Me neither. I, it's just, there are things about it that may be worthwhile, but when it comes down to it, it's not a good movie. It's, it's just not a, a good movie. It's, it is, I don't know if it's less than the sum of, his, of its parts or what, but it, it is just, it's not worth an hour and a half of your time. You, you want to go see a good movie that has D&D as a central narrative driving element go watch onward it does a better job of the concept of (laughs) the rpg is important to some people's lives and has some merit in their lives onward actually does a better job representing it than this movie does and it's got good production compared this is not a great movie production wise and so the fact that it becomes this example piece of media that depicts tabletop games is unfortunate (laughs) Yeah, so I think we're agreed. Mm-hmm. No, this we, we are recommending a no screen on this. Yeah. But we really should address our second set of questions, and that is revive, reboot, or rest in peace. I don't want to know what a revival would be of this movie. And I don't know if it needs a reboot. So, so you're saying I'm re- saying rest, rest in, in peace. peace just because Maybe you could centrifuge two interesting stories out of this, but I don't think you have to. Well, let's think for a minute. I I just want to explore what a revival could possibly be. And remember, a revival is any kind of a story usually taking place after the uh, the original in time. It's part of the same sequence. Whatever happened in the original is canon. So what would a revival of... Uh, mazes and monsters be like well, now I, let's think about our characters we've got i think robbie is out of the picture in terms of driving any future stories forward but maybe not completely we've got tall handsome dude who goes on to essentially follow his parents wishes and becomes a captain and this is all uh, recounted by kate in a kind of epilogue voiceover Tall, handsome dude goes on to be a captain of industry in computers. 
She goes on to write her novel about all of these events, and I gather that's the beginning of her successful writing career. And J.J., I think was still at Grant University, but switched to study directing in their theater arts program because he talked about wanting to be a movie writer and director. Are there any of those three things or any combination of those three things? We've got a novelist, um, a director, and a computer captain of industry. Going into the late 80s or after, any of those characters have a story in them that would be a revival of this. Oh, goodness. I Okay, I didn't even think I'd go down this path, but I realized the trick is a stealth revival that looks like a reboot. A set of students, they, there's students that they love these, these video games that they play on their computers, they love these movies that they've been watching from, this, from some of these directors, including some of these ones they love, like... JJ, excellent director and such, and they are playing this game and they get too invested. And you could even have one of them start looking into and then set up this character and they're playing through the game with this Pardue character and then because they learns, no, he's got some things and he's latched on to something. And once again, our friend who we didn't notice had some issues is latching onto the game now and the story of what happened to these other people. And that is becoming the catalyst for expression of the issues that they're having in a bad way. And you could go through the story. You could even have a version of this where you get kind of a repeat, but we know better. And we, we stop and help our friend this time and kind of a learning from the mistakes that the friend group made in this one of dismissing what was happening. You could have this, it looks like it's a, a retelling of the story, but the characters and what happened to them before is real in the continuity, and they learn from that and, and make better choices and progress better this time. They could do that nowadays. You, yeah, you could. How's this for a revival? We've got our writer, our director, and our computer guy, and their best friend who still needs help. They come together and figure out a, possibly these days you'd make it a VR computer game designed to help people deal with and work through and integrate themselves following psychological trauma. Essentially, they come together and pool their skills to help heal their friend, Robbie. And of course, it being a story, something has to go terribly wrong. And somebody has to fix it. Are you kind of like describing a 13th floor, but fixing Robbie? Sort of, yeah. Like, it it starts out seeming like a fantasy adventure story with this main character. And then we learn, no, the world's not real. No, you're not who you think you are. Because these little modern things start coming in, and we, you could, because I'm, I'm assuming you're doing it from Robbie's perspective in this thing. No, not necessarily, and it's a little bit less thirteenth floor and a little more present day in which they are. There are programs that are using VR to help people process post traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. from combat or other uh, situations, and. 
controlled, careful re-experience of certain aspects of an experience with a certain degree of agency added can be therapeutically beneficial. So turn, turn up the, the, the sci-fi psychiatry of that a little bit, and you have them trying to build something that may not only help their friend Robbie, but help others. There, there are numerous groups I know of and have talked with because I go to conventions for tabletop gaming and such, and I'm in, I'm interested and involved in the the field of design on stuff like this. And there are groups out there using tabletop games as a way to help people. And it's always you can't use it alone, but it can be a part of that. I could see the story you're saying of them coming together to build a a system to assist Robbie as a, a that could be effective. I admit, yeah. So that sounds to me like it could be an interesting story. I would want it to be done right. And if it were done, I really don't think it has to be done as a revival of Mazes and Monsters. It does not have to be a Mazes and Monsters sequel to tell that story. But it's the only thing that comes to mind as a possible Mazes and Monsters revival. Yeah. So, yeah, I've got to say rest in peace as well. Because a reboot, yeah, you could retell the story. You'd probably wind up telling it about video games these days or, or online games or something. But again... You really need to do that. Probably not. I could see taking some of the detective story aspect of the second half of this game, get rid of all the weird take about the arcane trappings of games or something, and just tell that interesting detective story about a group of friends trying to find and help their friend who has had this psychological trigger and psychological break and um, needs to be found and helped. Again, doesn't really have to be a reboot of Mazes and Monsters, and if you leave out the game stuff, it wouldn't be. So There's I'm some... coming around the long way to what you said. Rest in peace. You don't need to do anything more with this. Just let it be. There's some oak. There's some not bad ingredients in this TV movie stew, but the thing itself is not the best flavor. <laughs> right. So I think we've got our answers, and we've got our take on Mazes and Monsters. <sighs> Bar out game. I don't know where this ranks on the Lidsville scale of terrible unwatchableness that I've subjected you to, but um, but gosh, this was worse than I remembered. <laughs> yeah, I, I reiterate, don't watch it. So that's all for now. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more tales of media from the 21st century. Nope, excuse me, more tales of media from the 20th century, the occasional uh, um, takeover by Ian notwithstanding. Mm -hmm. And uh, between now and then, Ian, where can people find you? I can be found online as Item Crafting or on uh, both uh, YouTube and on Twitter, Item Crafting. And I'm, I'm Item Crafting Live on Twitch. And you can find me online at MatthewFPorter.com. You can find me on Twitter at ByMatthewPorter. And you can find the podcast at the website IMMProject.com. And there you will find links to our all of our back episodes. Links to our Patreon. Thank you for supporting. Please consider that. Uh, links to our shop if you like coffee mugs and t-shirts and whatnots. We've got a few whatnots on there. And you can find... Did I mention where you can find the uh, the podcast on Twitter? Don't I don't think so. Um, IMMPcast on Twitter. And of course, our Discord. We'd love to hear from you on Twitter or Discord. Get to talk with us about the movies you've seen, your thoughts as to Mazes and Monsters, your RPG campaigns. 
we're happy to talk about that. And Absolutely. Hear what you think. So, what games did you uh, did you encant to by candlelight when you were in college? Well, so well, let us know on uh, Discord. You'll find a link to Discord on that website as well. Exactly. And in the meantime, go find something new to watch. <laughs>